Chapter Eighteen of Anne of Geierstein, Volume Two, by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Faint the din of battle braid, distant down the heavy wind. War and terror fled before, wounds and death were left behind. Mickle arthur left alone and desirous perhaps to cover the retreat of count albert rode towards the approaching body of burgundian cavalry who were arrayed under lord conte's banner welcome welcome said that nobleman advancing hastily to the young knight the duke of burgundy is a mile hence with a body of horse to support the reconnoitring party it is not half an hour since your father galloped up and stated that you had been led into an ambuscade by the treachery of the stradiots and made prisoner he has impeached campobasso of treason and challenged him to the combat they have both been sent to the camp under charge of the grand marshal to prevent their fighting on the spot though i think our italian showed little desire to come to blows the duke holds their gauges and they are to fight upon twelfth day i doubt that day will ever dawn for some who look for it said arthur but if it do i will myself claim the combat by my father's permission he then turned with conte and met a still larger body of cavalry under the duke's broad banner he was instantly brought before charles the duke heard with some apparent anxiety arthur's support of his father's accusations against the italian in whose favour he was so deeply prejudiced when assured that the stradiots had been across the hill and communicated with their leader just before he encouraged arthur to advance as it proved into the midst of an ambush the duke shook his head lowered his shaggy brows and muttered to himself ill will to oxford perhaps these italians are vindictive then raising his head he commanded arthur to proceed he heard with a species of ecstasy the death of rudolph donnerhugel and taking a ponderous gold chain from his own neck flung it over arthur's why thou hast forestalled all our honours young arthur this was the biggest bear of them all the rest are but suckling whelps to him i think i have found a youthful david to match their huge thick-headed goliath but the idiot to think his peasant hand could manage a lance well my brave boy what more how camest thou off by some wily device or agile stratagem i warrant pardon me my lord answered arthur i was protected by their chief ferrand who considered my encounter with rudolph donnerhugel as a personal duel and desirous to use fair war 
as he said dismissed me honourably with my horse and arms umph said charles his bad humour returning your prince adventurer must play the generous um well it belongs to his part but shall not be a line for me to square my conduct by proceed with your story sir arthur de vere as arthur proceeded to tell how and under what circumstances count albert of geierstein named himself to him the duke fixed on him an eager look and trembled with impatience as he fiercely interrupted him with the question and you you struck him with your poniard under the fifth rib did you not i did not my lord duke we were pledged in mutual assurance to each other yet you knew him to be my mortal enemy said the duke go young man thy lukewarm indifference has cancelled thy merit the escape of albert of geierstein hath counterbalanced the death of rudolph donnerhugel be it so my lord said arthur boldly i neither claim your praises nor deprecate your censure i had to move me in either case motives personal to myself donnerhugel was my enemy and to count albert i owe some kindness the burgundian nobles who stood around were terrified for the effect of this bold speech but it was never possible to guess with accuracy how such things would affect charles he looked around him with a laugh hear you this english cockerel my lords what a note will he one day sound that already crows so bravely in a prince's presence a few horsemen now came in from different quarters recounting that the duke ferrand and his company had retired into their encampment and the country was clear of the enemy let us then draw back also said charles since there is no chance of breaking spears to-day and thou arthur de vere attend me closely arrived in the duke's pavilion arthur underwent an examination in which he said nothing of anne of geierstein or her father's designs concerning him with which he considered charles as having nothing to do but he frankly conveyed to him the personal threats which the count had openly used the duke listened with more temper and when he heard the expression that a man who is desperate of his own life might command that of any other person he said but there is a life beyond this in which he who is treacherously murdered and his base and desperate assassin shall each meet their deserts he then took from his bosom a gold cross and kissed it with much appearance of devotion in this said he i will place my trust if i fail in this world may i find grace in the next ho sir marshal he exclaimed let your prisoners attend us the marshal of burgundy entered with the earl of oxford and stated that his other prisoner campo basso 
had desired so earnestly that he might be suffered to go and post his sentinels on that part of the camp entrusted to the protection of his troops that he the marshal had thought fit to comply with his request it is well said burgundy without further remark then to you my lord oxford i would present your son had you not already locked him in your arms he has won great loss and honour and done me brave service this is a period of the year when good men forgive their enemies i know not why my mind was little apt to be charged with such matters but i feel an unconquerable desire to stop the approaching combat betwixt you and campo basso for my sake consent to be friends and to receive back your gauge of battle and let me conclude this year perhaps the last i may see with a deed of peace my lord said oxford it is a small thing you ask of me since your request only enforces a christian duty i was enraged at the loss of my son i am grateful to heaven and your grace for restoring him to be friends with campo basso is to me impossible faith and treason truth and falsehood might as soon shake hands and embrace but the italian shall be to me no more than he has been before this rupture and that is literally nothing i put my honour in your grace's hands if he receives back his gage i am willing to receive mine john de vere needs not be apprehensive that the world will suppose that he fears campo basso the duke returned sincere thanks and detained the officers to spend the evening in his tent his manners seemed to arthur to be more placid than he had ever seen them before while to the earl of oxford they recalled the earlier days in which their intimacy commenced ere absolute power and unbounded success had spoiled charles's rough but not ungenerous disposition the duke ordered a distribution of provisions and wine to the soldiers and expressed an anxiety about their lodgings the cure of the wounded and the health of the army to which he received only unpleasing answers to some of his counsellors apart he said were it not for our vow we would relinquish this purpose till spring when our poor soldiers might take the field with less of suffering nothing else remarkable appeared in the duke's manner save that he inquired repeatedly after campo basso and at length received accounts that he was indisposed and that his physician had recommended rest he had therefore retired to repose himself in order that he might be stirring on his duty at peep of day the safety of the camp depending much on his vigilance the duke made no observation on the apology which he considered as indicating some lurking disinclination 
on the italian's part to meet oxford the guests at the ducal pavilion were dismissed an hour before midnight when oxford and his son were in their own tent the earl fell into a deep reverie which lasted nearly ten minutes at length starting suddenly up he said my son give orders to tybalt and thy yeoman to have our horses before the tent by break of day or rather before it and it would not be amiss if you ask our neighbour colvin to ride along with us i will visit the outposts by daybreak it is a sudden resolution my lord said arthur and yet it may be taken too late said his father had it been moonlight i would have made the rounds to-night it is dark as a wolf's throat said arthur but wherefore my lord can this night in particular excite your apprehensions son arthur perhaps you will hold your father credulous but my nurse martha nixon was a northern woman and full of superstitions in particular she was wont to say that any sudden and causeless change of a man's nature as from license to sobriety from temperance to indulgence from avarice to extravagance from prodigality to love of money or the like indicates an immediate change of his fortunes that some great alteration of circumstances either for good or evil and for evil most likely since we live in an evil world is impending over him whose disposition is so much altered this old woman's fancy has recurred so strongly to my mind that i am determined to see with mine own eyes ere to-morrow's dawn that all our guards and patrols around the camp are on alert arthur made the necessary communications to colvin and to tybalt and then retired to rest it was ere daybreak of the first of january fourteen seventy seven a period long memorable for the events which marked it that the earl of oxford colvin and the young englishman followed only by tybalt and two other servants commenced their rounds of the duke of burgundy's encampment for the greater part of their progress they found sentinels and guards all on the alert and at their posts it was a bitter morning the ground was partly covered with snow that snow had been partly melted by a thaw which had prevailed for two days and partly congealed into ice by a bitter frost which had commenced the preceding evening and still continued a more dreary scene could scarcely be witnessed but what were the surprise and alarm of the earl of oxford and his companions when they came to that part of the camp which had been occupied the day before by campo basso and his italians who reckoning men-at-arms and stratiots amounted to nigh two thousand men not a challenge was given not a horse neighed no steeds were seen at picket 
no guard on the camp they examined several of the tents and huts they were empty let us back to alarm the camp said the earl of oxford here is treachery nay my lord said colvin let us not carry back imperfect tidings i have a battery an hundred yards in advance covering the access to this hollow way let us see if my german cannoneers are at their post and i think i can swear that we shall find them so the battery commands a narrow pass by which alone the camp can be approached and if my men are at their duty i will pawn my life that we make the pass good till you bring up succors from the main body forward then in god's name said the earl of oxford they galloped at every risk over broken ground slippery with ice in some places encumbered with snow in others they came to the cannon judiciously placed to sweep the pass which rose towards the artillery on the outward side and then descended gently from the battery into the lower ground the waning winter moon mingling with the dawning light showed them that the guns were in their places but no sentinel was visible the villains cannot have deserted said the astonished colvin but see there is light in their cantonment oh that unhallowed distribution of wine their usual sin of drunkenness has beset them i will soon drive them from their revelry he sprang from his horse and rushed into the tent whence the light issued the cannoneers or most of them were still there but stretched on the ground their cups and flagons scattered around them and so drenched were they in wassail that calvin could only by commands and threats awaken two or three who staggering and obeying him rather from instinct than sense reeled forward to man the battery a heavy rushing sound like that of men marching fast was now heard coming up the pass it is the roar of a distant avalanche said arthur it is an avalanche of switzers not of snow said colvin oh these drunken slaves the cannon are deeply loaded and well pointed this volley must check them if they were fiends and the report will alarm the camp sooner than we can do but oh these drunken villains care not for their aid said the earl my son and i will each take a linstock and be gunners for once they dismounted and bade tybalt and the grooms look to the horses while the earl of oxford and his son took each a linstock from one of the helpless gunners three of whom were just sober enough to stand by their guns bravo cried the bold master of ordnance never was a battery so noble now my mates your pardon my lords for there is no time for ceremony and you ye drunken knaves take heed not to fire till i give the word and were the ribs of these tramplers as flinty as their alps 
they shall know how old colvin loads his guns they stood breathless each by his cannon the dreaded sound approached nearer and more near till the imperfect light showed a dark and shadowy but dense column of men armed with long spears pole-axes and other weapons amidst which banners dimly floated colvin suffered them to approach to the distance of about forty yards and then gave the word fire but his own piece alone exploded a slight flame flashed from the touch-hole of the others which had been spiked by the italian deserters and left in reality disabled though apparently fit for service had they been all in the same condition with that fired by colvin they would probably have verified his prophecy for even that single discharge produced an awful effect and made a long lane of dead and wounded through the swiss column in which the first and leading banner was struck down stand to it yet said colvin and aid me if possible to reload the piece for this however no time was allowed a stately form conspicuous in the front of the staggered column raised up the fallen banner and a voice as of a giant exclaimed what countrymen have you seen merton and granson and are you daunted by a single gun burn yury sweats banners forward unterwalden here is your standard cry your war-cries wind your horns unterwalden follow your landamen they rushed on like a raging ocean with a roar as deafening and a course as impetuous colvin still laboring to reload his gun was struck down in the act oxford and his son were overthrown by the multitude the closeness of which prevented any blows being aimed at them arthur partly saved himself by getting under the gun he was posted at his father less fortunate was much trampled upon and must have been crushed to death but for his armor of proof the human inundation consisting of at least four thousand men rushed down into the camp continuing their dreadful shouts soon mingled with shrill shrieks groans and cries of alarm a broad red glare rising behind the assailants and putting to shame the pallid lights of the winter morning first recalled arthur to a sense of his condition the camp was on fire in his rear and resounded with all the various shouts of conquest and terror that are heard in a town which is stormed starting to his feet he looked around him for his father he lay near him senseless as were the gunners whose condition prevented their attempting an escape having opened his father's cask he was rejoiced to see him give symptoms of reanimation the horses the horses said arthur tybalt where art thou at hand my lord said that trusty attendant who had saved himself and his charge 
by a prudent retreat into a small thicket which the assailants had avoided that they might not disorder their ranks where is the gallant colvin said the earl get him a horse i will not leave him in jeopardy his wars are ended my lord said tybalt he will never mount steed more a look and a sigh as he saw colvin with the ramrod in his hand before the muzzle of the piece his head cleft by a swiss battle-axe was all the moment permitted whither must we take our course said arthur to his father to join the duke said the earl of oxford it is not on a day like this that i will leave him so please you said tybalt i saw the duke followed by some half-score of his guards riding at full speed across this hollow watercourse and making for the open country to the northward i think i can guide you on the track if that be so replied oxford we will mount and follow him the camp has been assailed on several places at once and all must be over since he has fled with difficulty they assisted the earl of oxford to his horse and rode as fast as his returning strength permitted in the direction which the provencal pointed out their other attendants were dispersed or slain they looked back more than once on the camp now one great scene of conflagration by whose red and glaring light they could discover on the ground the traces of charles's retreat about three miles from the scene of their defeat the sound of which they still heard mingled with the bells of nancy which were ringing in triumph they reached a half-frozen swamp round which lay several dead bodies the most conspicuous was that of charles of burgundy once the possessor of such unlimited power such unbounded wealth he was partly stripped and plundered as were those who lay round him his body was pierced with several wounds inflicted by various weapons his sword was still in his hand and the singular ferocity which was wont to animate his features in battle still dwelt on his stiffened countenance close behind him as if they had fallen in the act of mutual fight lay the corpse of count albert of geierstein and that of ital schreckenwald the faithful though unscrupulous follower of the latter lay not far distant both were in the dress of the men-at-arms composing the duke's guard a disguise probably assumed to execute the fatal commission of the secret tribunal it is supposed that a party of the traitor campo basso's men had been engaged in the skirmish in which the duke fell for six or seven of them and about the same number of the duke's guards were found near the spot the earl of oxford threw himself from his horse and examined the body of his deceased brother-in-arms with all the sorrow inspired by early remembrance of his kindness but as he gave way to the feelings inspired by so melancholy an example 
of the fall of human greatness tybalt who was looking out on the path they had just pursued exclaimed to horse my lord here is no time to mourn the dead and little to save the living the swiss are upon us fly thyself good fellow said the earl and do thou arthur fly also and save thy youth for happier days i cannot and will not fly farther i will render me to the pursuers if they take me to grace it is well if not there is one above that will receive me to his i will not fly said arthur and leave you defenceless i will stay and share your fate and i will remain also said tybalt the switzers make fair war when their blood has not been heated by much opposition and they have had little enough to-day the party of swiss which came up proved to be sigismund with his brother ernest and some of the youths of unterwalden sigismund kindly and joyfully received them to mercy and thus for the third time rendered arthur an important service in return for the kindness he had expressed towards him i will take you to my father said sigismund who will be right glad to see you only that he is ill at ease just now for the death of brother rudiger who fell with the banner in his hand by the only cannon that was fired this morning the rest would not bark Campobasso had muzzled colvin's mastiffs or we should many more of us have been served like poor rudiger but colvin himself is killed Campobasso then was in your correspondence said arthur not in ours we scorn such companions but some dealing there was between the italian and duke ferrand and having disabled the cannon and filled the german gunners soundly drunk he came off to our camp with fifteen hundred horse and offered to act with us but no no said my father traitors come not into our swiss host and so though we walked in at the door which he left open we would not have his company so he marched with duke ferrand to attack the other extremity of the camp where he found them entrance by announcing them as the return of a reconnoitring party nay then said arthur a more accomplished traitor never drew breath nor one who drew his net with such success you say well answered the young swiss the duke will never they say be able to collect another army never young man said the earl of oxford for he lies dead before you sigismund started for he had an inherent respect and somewhat of fear for the lofty name of charles the bold and could hardly believe that the mangled corpse which now lay before him was once the personage he had been taught to dread but his surprise was mingled with sorrow when he saw the body of his uncle count albert of geierstein oh my uncle he said 
my dear uncle albert has all your greatness and your wisdom brought you to a death at the side of a ditch like any crazed beggar come this sad news must be presently told to my father who will be concerned to hear of his brother's death which will add gall to bitterness coming on the back of poor rudiger's it is some comfort however that father and uncle never could abide each other with some difficulty they once more assisted the earl of oxford to horseback and were proceeding to set forward when the english lord said you will place a guard here to save these bodies from further dishonour that they may be interred with due solemnity by our lady of ensidlin i thank you for the hint said sigismund yes we should do all that the church can for uncle albert it is to be hoped that he has not gambled away his soul beforehand playing with satan at odds and evens i would we had a priest to stay by his poor body but it matters not since no one ever heard of a demon appearing just before breakfast they proceeded to the landamans quarters through sights and scenes which arthur and even his father so well accustomed to war in all its shapes could not look upon without shuddering but the simple sigismund as he walked by arthur's side contrived to hit upon a theme so interesting as to divert his sense of the horrors around them have you further business in burgundy now this duke of yours is at an end my father knows best said arthur but i apprehend we have none the duchess of burgundy who must now succeed to some sort of authority in her late husband's dominion is sister to this edward of york and a mortal enemy to the house of lancaster and to those who have stood by it faithfully it were neither prudent nor safe to tarry where she has influence in that case said sigismund my plan will fadge bravely you shall go back to geierstein and take up your dwelling with us your father will be a brother to mine and a better one than uncle albert whom he seldom saw or spoke with while with your father he will converse from morning till night and leave us all the work of the farm and you arthur you shall go with us and be a brother to us all in place of poor rudiger who was to be sure my real brother which you cannot be nevertheless i did not like him so well in respect he was not so good-natured and then anne cousin anne is left all to my father's charge and is now at geierstein and you know king arthur we used to call her queen guinevere you spoke great folly then said arthur but it is great truth for look you i loved to tell anne tales of our hunting and so forth but she would not listen a word till i threw in something of king arthur and then i warrant she would sit still 
as a heath-hen when the hawk is in the heavens and now donnerhugel is slain you know you may marry my cousin when you and she will for nobody hath interest to prevent it arthur blushed with pleasure under his helmet and almost forgave that new year's morning all its complicated distresses you forget he replied to sigismund with as much indifference as he could assume that i may be viewed in your country with prejudice on account of rudolph's death not a whit not a whit we bear no malice for what is done in fair fight under shield it is no more than if you had beat him in wrestling or at quoits only it is a game cannot be played over again they now entered the town of nancy the windows were hung with tapestry and the streets crowded with tumultuous and rejoicing multitudes whom the success of the battle had relieved from great alarm for the formidable vengeance of charles of burgundy the prisoners were received with the utmost kindness by the landamman who assured them of his protection and friendship he appeared to support the death of his son rudiger with stern resignation he had rather he said his son fell in battle than that he should live to despise the old simplicity of his country and think the object of combat was the gaining of spoil the gold of the dead burgundy he added would injure the morals of switzerland more irretrievably than ever his sword did their bodies he heard of his brother's death without surprise but apparently with emotion it was the conclusion he said of a long tissue of ambitious enterprises which often offered fair prospects but uniformly ended in disappointment the landamman further intimated that his brother had apprised him that he was engaged in an affair of so much danger that he was almost certain to perish in it and had bequeathed his daughter to her uncle's care with instructions respecting her here they parted for the present but shortly after the landamman inquired earnestly of the earl of oxford what his motions were like to be and whether he could assist them i think of choosing breton for my place of refuge answered the earl where my wife has dwelt since the battle of tewkesbury expelled us from england do not so said the kind landamman but come to geierstein with the countess where if she can like you endure our mountain manners and mountain fare you are welcome as to the house of a brother to a soil where neither conspiracy nor treason ever flourished bethink you the duke of breton is a weak prince entirely governed by a wicked favourite peter landis he is as capable i mean the minister of selling brave men's blood as a butcher of selling bullock's flesh and you know there are those both in france and burgundy that thirst after yours the earl of oxford expressed his thanks for the proposal and his determination 
to profit by it if approved of by henry of lancaster earl of richmond whom he now regarded as his sovereign to close the tale about three months after the battle of nancy the banished earl of oxford resumed his name of philipson bringing with his lady some remnants of their former wealth which enabled them to procure a commodious residence near to geierstein and the landamans interest in the state procured for them the right of denizenship the high blood and the moderate fortunes of anne of geierstein and arthur de vere joined to their mutual inclination made their marriage in every respect rational and annette with her bachelor took up their residence with the young people not as servants but mechanical aids in the duties of the farm for arthur continued to prefer the chase to the labours of husbandry which was of little consequence as his separate income amounted in that poor country to opulence time glided on till it amounted to five years since the exiled family had been inhabitants of switzerland in the year fourteen eighty two the landamman biederman died the death of the righteous lamented universally as a model of the true and valiant simple-minded and sagacious chiefs who ruled the ancient switzers in peace and headed them in battle in the same year the earl of oxford lost his noble countess but the star of lancaster at that period began again to culminate and called the banished lord and his son from their retirement to mix once more in politics the treasured necklace of margaret was then put to its destined use and the produce applied to levy those bands which shortly after fought the celebrated battle of bosworth in which the arms of oxford and his son contributed so much to the success of henry the seventh this changed the destinies of de vere and his lady their swiss farm was conferred on annette and her husband and the manners and beauty of anne of geierstein attracted as much admiration at the english court as formerly in the swiss chalet end of chapter eighteen end of anne of geierstein or the maiden of the mist volume two by sir walter scott